Hi, I'm Tony. I'm Patrick. And welcome to Cave to the Cross Apologetics. We are working our way through James Anderson's book, Why Should I Believe Christianity? Right? And we've worked our way to actually the sixth chapter in his book, and he's talking about God with us. In other words, God becoming man, and he's giving us an explanation about uh, who Jesus is, how Jesus was the God-man, mm-hmm. right? And so we're kind of in the middle of this chapter, and the issue here is uh, we've already looked at, you know, um, why Jesus um, being a God, and being God and man kind of works with the Christian worldview and theology and how it solves the problem, our sin problem, right? right? Because he had to be both God and man to reconcile us to God, to be an atonement, a sacrifice for our sin. He's also shown us how the uh, the apostles, his closest, you know, uh, Conrad's, we might say, <laughs> in the, uh, you know, during the time that he was here on earth, claimed his deity. Right? Mm-hmm. We see the, the claim by Peter, who says, you know, you're the Messiah, the Son of the living God. We see John, who says that he was the word that was in the beginning with the Father and it, that became flesh, right. and that was Jesus. Then we see in uh, Paul, right, how Jesus had the same nature as God as well as the same nature as a man, mm-hmm. right? So we've seen how his disciples, uh, what they had to say. Now the question he wants us to consider is, who did Jesus say he was? Right? Who did Jesus say he was? And, and as we mentioned last time, you know, many um, devout first century Jews became worshipers of a fellow human being. That issue seems to beg for a satisfying explanation, right? And so we can't help but ask, what was it about Jesus then that convinced them that he was uh, the son of the living God? Right. right? Pretty important. Uh, so people who say that Jesus never claimed to be God tend to fall into one of two camps. Those who haven't actually studied the four Gospels for themselves, or those who assume that if Jesus really thought he was divine, then he would have said so in the most explicit and unambiguous terms, I'm God. Yeah. And so if, if you interact with Muslims, uh, kind of the Ahmed Didat uh, question is, uh, show me in scripture where it says, uh, I, I am God. Unambiguously. Yeah. That's what he, he says unambiguously. I am right? God, worship me. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, yes. well, he says that, but, but it may not be as unambiguous as he wants, right? <laughs> right. But, and so Anderson tells us it takes only a moment's reflection to see that it would have been very counterproductive for Jesus to have spoken you know, these terms, I am God, right? Uh, Anderson tells us he would have been dismissed by everyone as blasphemous, you know, kind of a lunatic from the very outset, and nothing else he said would have been taken seriously, right? Moreover, for Jesus to refer to himself as God would have uh, obscured the um, distinction between the Father and the Son. Mm -hmm. So he couldn't, as Anderson is suggesting, just come right out and say it, as it were, right? Right. You know, God's not sitting around, okay, let me under, explain to you the Trinity in, in you know, fourth century terms, and I'm going to bring it back to you. He <laughs> kind of uh, points them to Scripture, and there are certain kind of subtleties that he takes, and also there's reasons that he does speak in these kind of story forms. It's so that people who uh, kind of have the, the Spirit's leading um, uh, believe based on Can the working of, of further God. And, yeah, that sort right. of thing, yeah. Right. Uh, so, so even performing 
big miracles, but once he tells them certain hard hardship things, even the disciples are like, oh, are you, you sure you want to say that? And, you know, <laughs> most of the audience goes away because they, they just kind of want that easy king that rides into into Jerusalem and knocks and out makes Rome. makes a lot of bread and, and fish. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah, and wine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's uh, essential to recognize that Jesus had... Uh, had many other things to teach people than simply I'm God. Yeah. So, you know, he didn't come just to proclaim I'm God. Okay. You know, and then go back. Right. right? Repent. Right, no. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> for the kingdom of God is at hand. Just that. Right. Right. Yeah. 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 And, uh, you know, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Well, when else does he talk about the, the kingdom of God? Well, right before Pontius Pilate, you know, uh, ex, ex, executes him. He talks about the kingdom of God again. Yeah, and yeah. so th- there seems to be a tie in there between who Jesus is and the kingdom of God. But. So at the beginning of his life and at the end of his life. <laughs> yeah. Right? yeah. He's, he's nothing but consistent. Yeah. Or at least ministry. <laughs> yeah. His message was one of good news. And if you're an ungodly sinner, hearing someone claim to be a God hardly counts as good news. <laughs> Jesus had much more to say about who he was and what he had come to do and who, what would happen afterwards, and, and all sorts of stuff. Mm. Jesus wisely adopted a more indirect approach to disclose his true identity, one that forced people to consider his claims more carefully right. and what they would give up. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, Anderson tells us that there's really no doubt that Jesus claimed to be the promised Messiah and the Son of God. For instance, when Peter replied to his question, who do you say I am with the answer, you're the Messiah, the Son of the living God, notice Jesus commended him for his answer. He didn't condemn him, right? Mm -hmm. He says, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. Right. So he commends Peter for this proclamation of who he is, right? The son of the living God, mm-hmm. right? Right. Uh, you know, when when the, the people come to him and say, oh, good teacher, when he goes, well, why do you call me good? There is no one good but God. The implication then is, do you find any fault with me? What 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 is it that makes yeah. my teaching good? What am I pointing well, towards? What makes me a good teacher? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so so yes, a, a very indirect way of saying, you you your your outspoken word, but kind of betrays more than what uh, what even you were um, realizing there. Yeah. So many times in the gospel, we find Jesus referring to uh, referred to as the Son of God by others, and not once did he indicate that it was inappropriate. Whoa, whoa, whoa. you're calling me uh, s- yes. somewhat close to God Back here. Back up here, buddy. Hold Back on. Up. Yeah. I am a lowly sinner just like the rest of you. you know, no, he doesn't. In fact, right. Jesus used this title on himself on occasions, and at other times he refers to himself as the Son in context where it's clear he meant the Son of God. Right. And so it's important to recognize, Anderson tells us, that Jesus treated this title, Son of God, as the one that applied uniquely to him. No, it's not as though Jesus was calling himself a Son of God, right? right? No matter what the Jehovah's Witnesses try to tell you. As if other folks could be a Son of God or a daughter of God in the same sense. Mm -hmm. No, no, no. He claimed to have a -a one-of-a-kind relationship with God the Father, one that uh, preceded, notice, even his human birth. He was the son of God before he was born, right? John eight fifty eight, before Abraham was, right? Yeah. I am, right? Right. That kind of stuff. Right? Yeah. John hey, go high me. Yeah. You know, fall down, the uh, soldiers fall down at just those words. <laughs> all, all sorts of fun. So even more provocative were some of the other things Jesus said. He claimed to have authority to forgive other people's sins. That's amazing. Yeah. Right? I mean, it's, it's, it's one thing for me to forgive somebody to sin against me. 
right? Okay, you've done something against me, I forgive you. But it's quite another thing for me to try to forgive somebody who did something against you. Right. You did something against Patrick. I forgive you. No, no, hey, no. Wait, hold on a second. Patrick has to forgive yeah. you. Right. Right. Yeah. right. Yeah. And so he claimed. But, to, but he claimed to forgive sin. Right. right. So this is someone who's either speaking for somebody else or who's inappropriately speaking for somebody else. Yeah. So he claimed to have this authority to forgive other people's sins, a claim his critics considered to have blasphemous implications. Rightfully so, if not true. Right, yeah. Because the Jews believe that only God has the right to pardon sin. Because ultimately, when you when you sin against me, you're ultimately sinning against a, a law that God has, has uh, put in place. And so uh, all, all sin is then directed towards God. Towards God, ultimately, right. yeah. That's, that's true. And so perhaps uh, Anderson tells us the most all-encompassing statement came at the very end of Jesus' ministry, Right. When he claimed Probably to makes have, sense. <laughs> yeah, he claimed to have all authority, right? He says all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him, right? right? Well, the, the question obviously is how else could that be interpreted but as a claim to have divine authority, mm-hmm. right? Did Jesus think that God could somehow abdicate his authority over the universe and, you know, give it to one of his creatures? That doesn't make sense, <laughs> right? <laughs> so yeah. clearly he was making a claim uh, about, um, you know, him being, God. Right. right. And, and tying those two together, you know, when he says, uh, if your sins are forgiven, even the Pharisees go, well, who's this person think he is? Is he God? He goes, which is it easier to say to this man, your sins are forgiven or to make him yeah, walk? And, he, walk, and yeah. he, he does, he does both. <laughs> <laughs> and so again, it's this tying together that should lead people to, to a proper understanding of who uh, Jesus is. So he doesn't have to say, oh, it's because I'm God. Look, he, he goes from uh, sinful to, to being forgiven. Watch. Okay, there you go. <laughs> so on another occasion, Jesus uh, stated quite brazenly, I and the Father are one. And his opponents responded by picking up stones in order to stone him to death. Yeah. So again, even if you think, oh, this is, this is just uh, 21st century Christianity, uh, you know, uh, relaying words in Jesus' mouth that he didn't really mean he is. Look at the response. Right. What did the people at the time understand, understand his words saying. to mean? Exactly. Well, they just don't go around stoning people for funsies. You know? <laughs> they were quite clear about their justification. It was for blasphemy because you, a mere man, claim to be God. Now, of course, that's uh, John 10. And another time, Jesus had made an astonishing claim that he had existed before Abraham was born. And he went uh, as far as to apply the divine name, the egoimi in, in the Greek or uh, Yahweh, as we we find out, uh, attributed to all three uh, uh, persons of the uh, the the Godhead uh, in John five eight, uh, and can you guess how the people responded to him that one? Well, mm. it was a rocky situation. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, Anderson tells us here that he's hardly scratched the surface uh, of the evidence for Jesus claiming to be God, right? But even a cursory examination of his words and actions reveals that Jesus more than encouraged the idea that he was divine. Right. Yeah? So he says, let me put it this way. Right? If Jesus didn't want people to think he was divine, uh, he has to go down as one of the worst teachers in the history of the world. Right. right. right? <laughs> because obviously it came out as people, at least the ones closest to him, believed that he was divine. Mm-hmm. Right. Of course, just because someone claims to be divine, it doesn't follow that he is divine, rightfully so. Jesus wasn't the first person to claim to be divine, nor was he the last. And, mm. uh, I kind of brought that up in, in my, um, my uh, 
discussion about uh, uh, comparing uh, Jesus with uh, with uh, Ben Judah, but you know the 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 um, the, the thief or the uh, murderer who he uh, uh, went against uh, at his trial. Mm. And so uh, Jesus wasn't the first person uh, to claim, nor was he the last. Uh, there are plenty of people alive uh, today who make similar claims, and most of them are being treated for mental illness, <laughs> right? uh, along to uh, all the Napoleon Bonapartes and uh, the people who are God and, uh, uh, and, and everything children. else in between. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. and probably a few more people that should be put in there as well. But that's precisely the point, isn't it? It's not simply that Jesus said he was the divine son of God. It's the hundreds of people who knew him, uh, believed him. Yeah. He said this, and he had followers. Yeah, yeah nobody tried to put him, uh, you know, trying to convict him of having mental illness. <laughs> right. right, not that. All right, so, uh, you know, the fact that Jesus is God uh, kind of makes the Christian message coherent, right? Because now we have a, uh, a Savior who can, um, you know, pay the penalty for our sin. Uh, the disciples claimed that Jesus was God, Peter, John, Paul, right? Jesus himself, um, over and over and over again, implied that he indeed was God, mm-hmm. right? And so, so now Anderson says, okay, but is there any confirming evidence outside of these witness testimonies, right, is, is what he gets to next. And so he says, from a Christian perspective, obviously Jesus' own testimony is evidence enough, right, because... You know, after all, if that testimony is true, then it carries the highest conceivable authority, right? The authority of God, right? right? right. But for those who don't believe yet that Jesus is who he claimed to be, more, he says, needs to be said, and indeed, more can be said, mm-hmm. right? Right. Right, because for the Christian, revelation, uh, divine revelation, specific divine revelation, uh, carries the, the highest burden because that's the who makes up reality, and so... Uh, we are uh, predisposed, if you will, to um, believe that over our own understanding, our own ideas. And um, if, if you look at what Jesus is talking about, even in the scripture, he's talking against people who have their own understanding of who the Messiah would be or uh, who Jesus is. And so he's talking against them just as he would talk against us if right. we believe different. So. And, of course, we're predisposed to that because, as the Bible says, we've been born again, right. we've been transformed by the Holy Spirit, we have the Holy Spirit living in us, and so we, we are, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's easy for us to accept what mm-hmm. he has to say, right? We have been changed. So what other evidence should we see? For one thing, we should find that Jesus' actions demonstrate his divine character and power, corroborating his claims. Mm. Apparently not even his enemies could point to any moral failings in him other than blasphemy claiming equality with God. Probably the thing that you don't want to point towards if he's actually claiming that. But he was also renowned in his day as a healer and miracle worker. Here again, his, even his critics conceded that he had performed miracles. Uh, They had just preferred to argue that his amazing powers came from Satan rather than God. And uh, Jesus was none too happy about that as well. So it's interesting here, his actions, right? Both his, his uh, his sinless life, right? Which notice the critics couldn't say he was sinful. All they they had to do was to say you're being blasphemous by saying it right? mm-hmm. or implying it. And of course the miracles. And again, they couldn't say he didn't perform miracles. They had to say, well, it's because of the the devil that you're doing it. So they couldn't deny these various actions yeah. that pointed to and indicated that he was indeed who he said he was. God, right? right? It, even Isaiah, who you know is is a, a big mouthpiece for 
the coming Messiah prophecies, even he in, in Isaiah 6 talks about how he needed to be cleansed of his own kind of bad mouth and bad tongue. He, mm-hmm. he had to have a, a fiery stone put in, onto his tongue so that he would change and be able to speak divine words uh, in, in his, so he, his gospel. Yeah, he did not claim perfection. He was a sinner, right? right. And uh, so Anderson says to this, we can also add the evidence of prophecy, right? Jesus, the life, uh, you know, life fulfilled a host of prophecies in the Old Testament, many of which concern the circumstances of his uh, birth and his death, events which on the face of it, we might say, were beyond his direct control. Right. right? <laughs> right. Yet, yet a number of these prophecies also indicate that the promised Messiah would have more than a mere, would be more than a mere man. God himself would come into the world to save his people. And of course, we get a lot of that in Isaiah, whom you just talked about, right? So the fact that Jesus fit the profile of the Messiah further um, evidence of his true identity. Right, right. right. Th- this isn't something new that, the converted Jews believed, like, okay, we're going from uh, Yahweh to uh, Mithraism or or (laughs) Janicism or or what have you. This is a continuation. It's looking back and going, oh, you're right. It's it's right there. We were looking uh, for it, and we saw it, but our understanding of it was clouded or we had the incorrect understanding, and so um, kind of that that divine inspiration – comes about with the, the with the Holy Spirit there. Exactly. Look at how the he fulfills prophecy, all of these prophecies that were fulfilled. Right. right. Yeah. So there are uh, there's one other important piece of evidence for Jesus divinity which at least needs to be mentioned is not only did Jesus followers claim that he was the son of God, they also claimed that he had risen from the dead. Mm-hmm. And probably probably an important piece of the puzzle <laughs> if you if you didn't talk about that, we'd we'd kind of wonder why not why not in fact it's interesting that the, over and over in the book of acts when the apostles are preaching about jesus what they say over and over and over again is that he was raised from the dead <laughs> right yeah right? over and over in fact uh, it's amazing that we don't hear more of that today you know in preaching the day and when sharing the gospel today very seldom do i hear people saying jesus was raised from the dead right. they use that as proof to what he, who he was and what he had accomplished. He was raised from the dead. He, he was raised from the dead uh, by God. God raised him from the dead. He raised himself from the dead. The Holy Spirit raised him from the dead, right? And we see these things being preached right. in, the, uh, in, in, the, in, you know, in the book of Acts, right. right? And it's such a big linchpin because it's a, a, a confirming testimony uh, that everything that he preached beforehand was accurate because it was done for the the purpose it was it was done to kind of point to this moment and if he was found to be a liar or uh, uh, able only to pay for his sins or or you know what what have you there uh, you wouldn't see this this type of testimony he'd be caught up to heaven like you know Enoch or yeah, some, yeah. some and some we'd still be in our pitiful <laughs> state <Yep. laughs> and <laughs> right and so Anderson tells us to think it through for a moment if Jesus had falsely claimed to be equal with God and had been put to death on the charge of blasphemy blasphemy would God have raised him from the dead what message would a miraculous resurrection convey about uh, convey about Jesus's claim right well you know he says uh it point out that Jesus' resurrection can only be evidence of his true identity if it actually occurred. So, you know, he tells us to hold that thought with regard to the resurrection <laughs> because he wants to deal with that in the next chapter, mm-hmm. right? So he's going to spend the whole chapter uh, dealing with this, the importance of the resurrection, right? right? 
And and you see it uh, too, um, kind of uh, co-opted by other false religions like Scientology. You know, L. Ron Hubbard is going to come back, and he needs an office wherever he's able to walk into a Scientology center and and continue his work from there. You know, there's there's a a, um, a confirmingness about you know, okay, if L. Ron Hubbard suddenly got up, you know, from the universe that he he went to to be a part of to. <laughs> Uh, to face evil Xenu or, or whatever he's doing out there to, to learn more Dianetic stuff. And if he comes back, uh, okay. I mean, maybe we should have to look into this stuff if yeah, he comes back. Yeah, but, really. uh, sadly, I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> so the question is, but is, is it even possible? So at this point, some readers uh, or listeners uh, may be thinking along the lines, well, that's all very interesting again, but it's really besides the point. There's a fundamental problem here. It's just not logical. It's illogical and impossible for God to become human. Right. You know, and um, we definitely see this from from the, the Muslim uh, opponents as well. Right. And so Anderson says, well, okay, let me concede right away that this is a genuine concern which should be, uh, shouldn't be you know, casually dismissed. Right? Is it even possible? He says, yet it's also one that Christianity has acknowledged from the outset, <laughs> right? right? Christian We're theologians, not hiding the fact. That's right. <laughs> Christian theologians have uh, long maintained that the doctrine of the incarnation, that is, you know, God becoming man, incarnation, right? Uh, like the doctrine of Trinity is a very mysterious and uh, paradoxical type of teaching. Uh, and he says that's not a concession that he's giving, right? That these doctrines are nonsensical or that they're contrary to reason, but rather it's an admission that these teachings, which come directly from the Bible, can only be partially understood by human reason. Mm -hmm. right? That's what he's trying to get at here. That being said, we can go some way towards showing that it isn't inherently unreasonable to believe that God can and did take on a human nature. In the first place, we need to be clear that Christianity doesn't teach that Jesus changed from one kind of, of being, a divine being, into another kind of being, a human being. Right. And so this is what we saw in, in Paul's testimony in Philippians chapter right. 2. Right? Yeah. He had the very nature of God, and he took on the very nature of uh, humanity. So he had both the divine nature and the human nature. He mm-hmm. didn't you know, change into something else. It was not God changing into a man, and therefore now he's a man. Right. No, he was still God. Right. right. And he uh, didn't cease to be the son of God when he became a man. God can't stop being God. And you see this for, for when he... He knows certain events that would take place in other areas of what those events would be. He knows when uh, people are thinking things. He knows uh, um, what uh, kind of what to do. Um, you know, there, there's all these um, evidences that uh, Jesus experiences within his life that points to a, a, a omni type uh, being kind of within himself. That's not too blasphemous to say. Christians do believe, however, that the God, the son, the second person, the Trinity added a human nature to his divine nature precisely so that he could suffer and die as a human death in our place. And so obviously not, not all similes and metaphors are perfect, but I almost view it as kind of like putting on a trench coat, you know, God puts on a trench coat. It doesn't change his, his nature underneath the trench coat. He's just has put on a trench coat and there's nothing contradictory to that. he, he, can add to himself uh, a, 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 a human form and still maintain his godhood. Yeah. It's or a human nature, even right? right? Yeah. It, it's it's the, the the question that has to arise is okay if you believe in some transcendent God as the Muslims do, 
you're saying it is impossible for your God to be able to do that. And so you just have to come to grips with that understanding of, of kind of a lower view of a transcendence, I guess, yeah, in that, in that yeah. regard. And he tells us, you know, admittedly, it's very hard for us to understand how God could do that, right? Um, right. The, the, I mean, those categories are just outside yeah, of ourselves. Yeah. And, the, the mere fact that we don't know, though, he says, uh, you know, how yeah. something could happen. How did God make the universe? Yeah, that doesn't mean that, you know, it didn't happen or it couldn't yeah, happen. Right. right. Just because we don't know. That. Right. That's kind of the argument from ignorance. Like that, right? <laughs> right. We don't know what it is, and there, we don't know how it happened, and therefore it didn't happen. Right. Right. No, 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 no. That's that's no, no. That's no reason to believe that it didn't happen. He says, imagine an aborigine in the remote Australian back, uh, you know, outback who has never encountered modern electronic communication devices. Uh, you tell him that you have a, a, a little box which you can speak into and tens of thousands of miles away, someone with another little box can hear you and speak back to you. Well, he doesn't have this, you know, the first idea how that's even possible. In fact, he might think you're crazy. Right. Right? <laughs> but, of course, that's no good reason to think that it, uh, it isn't uh, possible. I was uh, surfing the channels the other day, and I, I came across this channel where they were showing tribal people, is what it said, various things. And they showed um, uh, a uh, clip from uh, Michael Jackson dancing in uh you know uh, to uh and doing the moonwalk mm. right and i mean but they showed the whole they showed maybe about five or six minutes of his you know of his um, um uh, you know doing doing the moonwalk doing dancing and that sort of thing when he was singing billy jean which mm -hmm. is you know one of his favorite and uh, they were just and one guy said he looks like he's made out of rubber <laughs> <laughs> we think the same thing too. yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, just because, you know, we don't think it's possible doesn't or don't know whether or not it's possible or are not sure whether it could happen doesn't mean that it didn't happen. Right. right? That's right. the point. Right. <laughs> so the mysteriousness of the uh, of the Christian doctrine of the incarnation shouldn't be seen as a reason not to believe. In fact, I, uh, Dr. Anson says here, I would suggest that the opposite is true. If a transcendent God were to take on a human nature, wouldn't we expect that to be mysterious at some level? Yeah, wouldn't you want kind of an outlandish type claim to to happen, uh, but still fall within the the nature aspect of of who God is? You know, mm -hmm. well, can God make a, a a circle square? Well, no, that would be against His nature. But this isn't against His nature. This is just something that is a, a pe uh, like you said, paradoxical in, right, in, in, right. in regard. It's hard for us to conceive of it, right. but we can conceive of it, right? We can't conceive of a square circle, right? right? right. That's inconceivable. It's impossible. But this, we can conceive of God becoming uh, a man, mm -hmm. right? And uh, Yeah. So he says, uh, wouldn't we expect it to go beyond what our limited minds can comprehend there, right? Yeah. Do, you, do, you wanna, do you want to hold uh, every aspect of this... Uh, uh, you know, all-powerful all God who has the ability to um, uh, to pay for your sins, to um, uh, make make you whole, to have created you, to have created everything in the universe. Do you want to be able to understand all things about Him? If you if you did, wouldn't that kind of point you to the fact that that might not be the case? That right. There might be right. if if you can kind of I hold totally on to understand it all. God and everything that He's done. <laughs> <Right>. Really, <laughs> right. Do you really want that to happen? <laughs> yeah. yeah.
Good. And so he kind of ends this chapter here with the promise that he's going to get into the resurrection for the next chapter, right? right? Again, I like talking about the, the importance of Jesus. When we talk about why should we believe Christianity is true, we should talk about Jesus. We should even more so talk about the resurrection. Yeah. So thanks for joining us. Uh, we have one more chapter and then the concluding chapter, and then uh, we'll uh, pick up uh, next time. So yeah. thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.